Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast, our first one of the new year. It's been a great couple of weeks for Sir Alistair Cook as he became the first cricketer to be knighted since Ian Botham in 2007. In Australia, Cheteshwar Pajara is having a Cook 2010-11 style series of himself. A hundred on a dour MCG pitch helped India to win there and another this morning in Sydney has put India in a dominant position where you'll think they'll probably go on to win the series 3-1. I'm Yazrana and I'm joined by the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, and Wisdom's very own Ben Gardner. Good to have you both. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Yaz. Well, that's very in unison. <laughs> we practiced that. Yeah. Pajara <laughs> then. Pajara then. Um, everyone was talking about Kohli going into the series, but Pajara's been the man. 300 so far. Only Hobbs, Sutcliffe and Kohli have scored more as a tourist in Australia. Why did India not play him in Edgebaston early in the year? Well... I mean, the simple answer is, is that he was in awful form for Yorkshire. Uh, and I think at the time, it was a questionable call, but it wasn't necessarily, didn't seem a completely bizarre one. Some people I thought it was completely bizarre. Okay. I think <laughs> not, not everyone thought it was as completely bizarre as they seem to now. I, th- I think there's, there's an argument that it could even have been sort of the, the, the making of him. He seems like someone who at least takes criticism to heart and goes and, work, goes and works on it. Coley sort of said he didn't score quickly enough. And since then kind of endearing he gets run out a lot because he doesn't think he can score more boundaries so he just run goes for hopeful twos um but uh and so yeah i think i think that could easily have made him sort of go away work it a bit more and just figure out really how to adapt on seeing pitches before that i think he got one brilliant hundred in south africa a few years ago but besides that most of his hundreds have come in the subcontinent he hadn't properly done it overseas the way he's done it incredibly this year he had a very poor series in England last time, hadn't he? Which was unexpected because he came in as the as the kind of the big story, yeah. really. At that Gravity stage, two point oh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think I think India got well, Kohli probably particularly got sucked into looking at English county stats at a time when the pitches and the conditions were so bad, it should have almost been irrelevant, basically. And even if he, even though he'd gone really badly, he'd still at least experienced them and learnt something, which seemed a much better shout than going with Dawan or Rahul uh, or Vijay, actually. Yeah, Rahul. <laughs> Shit, so he's having it's a uh, such a strange one because when he when he's on, he looks like the best player in the world, and then like he's, he came in looking completely ready, made a hundred on on debut or a second game in Australia, which is a pretty hard place to to do that, and that brilliant hundred at the Oval, and then so little either side of it is a is a really odd one. You said that Pajara's done well in uh, subcontinental conditions. The pitch at the MCG was kind of like a pitch you get in Asia. It was quite slow and. Uh, the way they batted there on day one and the way they're batting in Sydney at the moment, quite slow, accumulating runs, um, like kind of grinding the opponents into the dirt. It's kind of how they've been winning series after series relentlessly in India. Um, do you think that's played a part in, in his success this series? Yeah, I mean, the pitches haven't been, apart from the Perth pitch, which was quite an exciting one, they've all been, none of them have been great, have they, for, for contest between 
between bat and ball and stuff like that, which is a shame. It's the mm-hmm. sort of the drop in scenario, isn't it? Which uh, seems to kill. Well, the MCG is becoming a problem. Well, mm-hmm. it is a problem now, uh, especially when it's the Boxing Day test. It's the kind of the big moment of the Australian sporting calendar, and you, if the pitch is going to be like this, we're going to keep getting the same, same kind of match and the same kind of. It's not what Australian cricket yeah. or Australian cricket fans like, uh, and yeah, they need to start doing something about it pretty quickly. Otherwise, that's that's going to lose some of its kudos uh, very rapidly. Well, a couple of people have been calling for the MCG test, uh, sorry, the Boxing Day test to be played elsewhere. I don't know how realistic that is, um, but that kind of shows how how people are how people aren't really enjoying. Well, yeah, that would be sacrilege uh, a few <laughs> years ago. Um, so yeah, it does show just how how poor that pitch has become. Because it was where Cook got his, 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 I mean, lovely double century, but... Sir Alistair Cook. Sorry, yeah. Sir, Sir, Sir Chef, yeah. Uh, but that, that was on a similar pitch that got a poor rating, I think. And if that had come, if it hadn't been a boxing test and had been a New Year's test, that would have been put them quite a long way towards losing the right to host international cricket for five years, I think. And they've escaped that again this time because they've only got an average rating rather than a poor one. But it's, they're going to have to watch it from that point of view as well. It's just from a, a crowd's point of view, I think. Um, elsewhere, India's bowlers have been brilliant. Jasprit Bumrah, in particular, he was sensational with <coughs> MCG on on a pretty lifeless pitch. He was. Um, I, I was going to say what the difference between the two teams, but Pat Cummins himself bowled really well in that test. But his slower ball to uh, Sean Marsh on the last ball before lunch that was um, Steve Harmison esque, wasn't it? Very similar to that ball he bowled to Michael Clark in the two thousand five Ashes. One of the great. Balls. One of the great balls, as Mark Nicholas said. Um, He's such an exciting bowler. I mean, before this series, I'd have probably said Rabada was the fastest yeah. bowler in the world that I most look forward to seeing. But I think Bumrah might have uh, have just usurped him because there's the kind of the, there's the idiosyncrasy to his action, which is interesting in itself to see. Uh, I really like his attitude as well. Mm. I think he's kind of competitive, but also unflappable and doesn't seem kind of too too phased by things. The sort of he's quite an interesting mix with with Kohli, and I saw quotes from Kohli saying that he works incredibly hard. And if Kohli's talking about people having a a massive work ethic then if you think how hard he works that's quite quite some yeah. statement and I think he's has to work incredibly hard because of it's, it is a, an unusual action I think it puts with this with such a short run up to bowl so quick it must put a lot of strain in your body and you're going to have to do a lot of gym work to sort of mm. make up for that I think the other thing as well is that you get you get a lot of bowlers or at least a few bowlers who sort of burst onto the scene who do it a bit unusually and then they kind of get found out but even if you strip away the awkward position the ball comes from and stuff it's it's everything you'd want from a seam bowler really he can swing it he can occasionally move it both ways it's always quick it's it's, it's, it's accurate yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant he could be the best fast bowler in the world he's not played that much first class cricket as well that makes mm. what he's doing even more extraordinary yeah. that also makes his potential fitness concerns down the line more concerning as well because he's played a huge amount of cricket this year yeah. in comparison to any other year and I've I know at sort of under 19s level he was managed very carefully, and the temptation now is to play him in every game and every format because mm. he's arguably the best fast bowler in the world. But India, I mean, the, India do have the advantage of having so many good quicks that they can leave him out in games they don't need to play him, uh, and I think they'll have to manage him carefully, particularly with the World Cup coming up. Yeah, you'd imagine they'd have to wrap him up with cotton wool. I think so. Yeah, he's, he'd be such an asset. But Australia, on the other hand, um, they they but they haven't done terribly in the series. You know, if you take out um, any team's two best batsmen you're going to really struggle. Um, but they haven't helped themselves with selection, have they? Um, Marnus Lavashane is batting three for them in this test match. Um, and he, he's averaged less than 30 this year in first-class cricket. He averaged 22 in the UAE. Um, how's he batting three? Well, he's a lovely guy and I'm, I wish him the best, but <laughs> how's he batting three? 
I yeah, I'd, it's just it's they had to pick someone to bat there, didn't they? Uh, what about Joe Burns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, how's he batting throughout the squad is a different question to how he's not been selected, which is which is, is is a really puzzling one. And yeah, the the two. Well, I guess there's a few who have been hard done by. In England, we probably point to Matt Renshaw because of how aged for Somerset, uh, which is which what was high shooter, but he hasn't, he hasn't set the world light in Sheffield Shield cricket, so maybe that's fair enough. But Joe Burns and Glenn Maxwell have both averaged in the 40s in the last few seasons in Sheffield Shield cricket. Uh, Joe Burns also has got three test hundreds, a test average of in the mid to high 40s. Uh, 30s. It's high 30s. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, mid to high 30s. Uh, is like, well, which is better than most of the Australian batsmen yeah, at the moment. Exactly. And, and also, his, like, all his tests recently have been, he's got had two in Sri Lanka, which where everyone uh, failed, basically. He had one against South Africa in Australia, when Australia were bowled out for 60, I think. And then one against South Africa after the ball tackling scandal, when he actually top scored in the second innings, which is his most recent test innings. It's entirely bizarre that he's been left out, and I think he'd, you'd get quite frustration. And what, what's what's amusing is Glenn Maxwell seems to have sort of just uh, like said sort of uh, the phrase on Joss Butler's bat handle and uh, uh, is just tweeting what, what he likes now. So there was a, a what a video of uh, Justin Langer getting to his test a test entry with a reverse sweep and then talking about it and joking about it and he like quotes the tweet saying that it's that it's reckless, which is obviously what everyone saying Glenn Maxwell did the same. Well, he's got nothing to lose now, Maxwell, yeah. has he? And he's got the majority of the public on his side, it seems. So he's got he's got kind of free reign to do that. And Australia might still have to go back to him at some stage as well. Yeah, yeah Langer said that he'd base a lot of the selections um, in the future on, on stats. And it's not just that they haven't picked Burns and Maxwell. It's if you look at just um, Australian players' first-class batting averages in the Sheffield Shield in recent years, uh, the current top six genuinely all feature really low in that list. It's not... Um, so Aaron Finch only averages uh, 31 or 32. Ben, you were saying the other day that uh, his career first class average is, in, is massively inflated by a 288 not out on a pitch where... So I think the situation was it was in a warm-up game against New Zealand. We know how straight warm-up games against Australia work where they uh, uh, they, they play a rubbish team on a, on a pitch that's nothing like we're going to face. So it was actually a pitch with a lot of uneven bounce. So I think New Zealand basically didn't bowl any seam because it was going to be dangerous. So it just bowled like part-time spin basically. Uh, they the opening batsman added like about five hundred, and then when they eventually declared, uh, the bowled about one ball of seam, and it reared up from a, a full length, and then they abandoned the game. So it's a, you know, that boost is averaged by about two points. So I think that, and even then, his average is only thirty five or whatever. Yeah, I mean he's, he's obviously a talented batsman and has a uh, an excellent ODI record, a brilliant T twenty record, and uh, can hit the ball a long way. And actually, it's had played some also some gritty ODI innings, which you might think. False test game, but there's not much you can do with a first class average, which really is in the low 30s. Regardless of Australia's batting woes, um, this would this would be India's first series win in Australia ever, um, and they've and they've done that without Kohli and Rahani having particularly great series. Yeah, and I think when we when we sat in this room and talked about the way the series might go, I think we would we knew at that stage that Kohli was going to average 40 strike rate of 40, which is quite interesting as mm. well. Rahani only averaging 30. He's generally been one of India's most reliable batsmen overseas. We'd have probably said, on the base of those stats, that Australia might might have won that series. So it says a lot about, first of all, how brilliant Pujara and Bumrah have been, but also that India have now got some some real depth there. Mm. And says not only how good they are now, but how good they could become as well. There's still quite a lot of young players finding their way and doing quite impressively in conditions where well, we've seen how England players finding their way have found found it in Australia, yeah. which is very difficult. We haven't talked about Agarwal 
who's come in and done really well at the top of the order. He's not got 100, but he's got two crucial 50s. Um, Prithvi Shaw's injured as well. Ravi Ashton as well. They've had to do a lot of series without him. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, we were talking about Kara Hall, but the thing is, is like any other country, back batsman have to come good. But in India, I mean, Prithvi Shaw's going to come in and then they've got, what, three openers who might be above him. Shubman Gill is going to set the world light pretty soon as well. So there's a, like a batsman like that, you know, there's, there's so much depth. It's incredible. Yeah, Shubman Gill's my pick for 2019 or something to watch. He averages uh, something like 88 in first class cricket so far. Um, Joe, you were saying that Rob Key rates him rated him higher than Prithvi Shaw after the Under-19 World Cup, is that right? USA was on commentary at the Under-19 World Cup and he described Shimon Gill as the, the best young batsman he'd ever seen. And Rob Key's not prone to massive hyperbole, yeah. particularly. So, yeah, I think that's quite quite a statement. He certainly looks the absolute business. I mean, you never quite know until you step up and mm. have to play some tougher bowling and some tough conditions, but he absolutely looks like a dream, yeah. yeah he's, he's not he's not quite got the, the, the superstar aura of Prithvi Shaw, so he's out in, the, in New Zealand for that. That's all, as I always talk about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's 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 kind of had to kind of work for it. He's, he was from like a, a smaller town, and his dad moved to the big city so that his uh his so that Shubman could uh, get more cricket opportunities, and would just uh, collect balls from the, the railway, I think, and throw them to him. Uh, uh, just at hour after hour, all the, all the local kids would just throw balls to him um, in the nets, which is a yeah, which is a, a mark of obviously how lucky he's been, but also of how hard he's worked his whole career. Which is not to say that. Which hasn't worked hard either, but he's a. Uh, I think he's got his head screwed on right. I mean, yeah, you can never know, but I have very high hopes for him as well. Their, their batting depths are pretty scary. Yeah. Anyway, let's go into our moments of the week. Uh, Joe, yours happened about an hour ago. It did. I had um, a lovely chat with um, Jack Russell, who was. I absolutely loved him as I was growing up, one of my first kind of favourite cricketers, and I've been lucky enough to interview him a few times over the years. And he is genuinely just the nicest, nicest man. I can't <laughs> emphasise that enough. It's not often I finish an interview where the person the, other, the person I've been interviewing says, oh, I really enjoyed that, <laughs> which might say something more about my, my interview technique than anything <laughs> yeah, else. Brag, yeah. um, but, he's, uh, but he is yeah, a genuinely lovely man. So it was, it was for each you might know for regular readers of Wisdom Cricket Monthly called A Cricket Life, which is just an excuse to talk about every aspect of their life, the kind of major signposts in their career. And there was just a couple that stuck out. Stuck out. He, there was one describes a, a one-handed leg side catch taken by Alan Knott to get rid of Rick McCosker at Headingley in 1997, sorry, 1977. Uh, and it was that catch that made him want to be a keeper. He, at that point, he was already um, playing England, England under-19s, I think, as a, as a frontline batsman. But that's what made him want to be a keeper. And obviously, he went on to become certainly one of the best of his time. I would argue one of the best keepers ever, certainly, that I've seen. Um, yeah, and, and then we also had a, had a chat about the kind of the keepers' union, which I think exists in football among goalkeepers and definitely exists in cricket among wicket keepers uh, and it, it came up because I interviewed Nile O'Brien a month or so ago and he mentioned so Nile O'Brien was going to uh, have a trial at Gloucestershire which he had to miss because it was Kevin O'Brien's wedding <laughs> so he was devastated he never got to be Jack Russell's understudy but they they're they're good friends and, and Jack Russell apparently used to text Nile O'Brien when he'd had a had a good day got some runs or he heard he'd taken a good catch so I asked Jack Russell, "Do you do that with many players?" He said, yeah, "We we all do that. We're keepers. That's that how, that's how it works. No one understands us, but we understand each other." Um, so they, these messages fly about. And do you remember Barney Gibson at all? Do you remember that name? Yeah, the Yorkshire. So he guy. played at fifteen, yeah. retired at nineteen actually, uh, but played at fifteen. And and Jack Russell had heard that this young lad was going to get a chance to play at fifteen, Yorkshire record, I believe. 
and he'd text Martin Moxon that morning and said, please pass on my congratulations to Barney uh, and wish him all the best of luck, which he did. And what, what a thing for a 15-year-old yeah. to hear that on the morning of your first-class debut. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was my a genuine moment of the week. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading that because he did that brilliant interview with uh, Felix White for AOC, which is more about sort of life after cricket and uh, how you cope with, with the touring stuff, but talking about like lots of things like the What was it on... On tour and bring all the tins of baked beans with him, and one line about doing a PG Tips advert, and he said, "I'll do the advert, but I'm not working with the monkeys." Which is a, yeah. <laughs> That's how he was genuinely asked to do that advert. That was a, that was a genuine story of his. But he's got so many, and he's he's obviously he's got a lot of interest in his life outside of cricket. We talked about his painting as well, which he yeah. says he loves every bit as much as, as wicket keeping. Um, so yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. If you. I was going to ask your moment of the week. No, I was going to say, if you haven't uh, read Jack Russell's Wikipedia page, I'd highly recommend it. There's a, a very long section in all his eccentricities. <clears> and, uh, they're, I mean, they're quite frankly brilliant. Um, what, sorry, yes, what is your moment of the week? <laughs> uh, my, my moment of the week. Um, I'm not sure if it actually was this week, but it was definitely since our last podcast. It was Trent Bolt's uh, five for zero spell against mm. Sri Lanka. Um, it, was, it was brilliant. He hadn't got a wicket yet. In that test match, um, Tim Southey was the star of the show. He he got a really important 60-odd uh, in no time in the first inning when uh, New Zealand were five down for not many. Uh, he then took three early wickets in Sri Lanka's innings. And I think Sri Lanka were uh, 88 for three, um, 94 for four. And then Bolt took six wickets uh, for four runs. The last five wickets without conceding a run. Um, but but what was really special was was... Uh, just how incompetent the Sri Lankan tail were. It was astonishing. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the sequence of shots, it was a really good example of just when a whole batting unit completely loses their mind. Yeah. We've seen it with England a bit over the years. <laughs> uh, but they, yeah, just all completely forgot how to bat. But it was quite endearing seeing like a really old school tail. So I think Sri Lanka's 8, 9, 10, 11. It's basically got one number 9, two number 11s and a number 12. Uh, <laughs> like Kamara, um, if you haven't seen, you've really... That was the best of the yeah, lot, wasn't it? He's, he's leaving a ball that's probably hitting mid in the leg. Um, yes, it was swinging, but um, yeah, we, tra- we thought we might miss harassed tail and batting. Yeah. But it's got even better. It's amazing. They're actually batting seven. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, was, otherwise it was um, New Zealand got another Test series win. I think that's uh, their third in a row, up to number um, three in the world. Yeah, I believe. yeah, yeah pretty um, deserved. They've got they've got a team full of underrated players, Ben. Yeah, I I think that I mean we we got a bit of flack when we did our teams of the year that uh, not enough. New Zealanders are in it, but if you look at the qualification periods, they just they just don't play enough tests to really warrant inclusion. And they hadn't played; they played more tests in the time since than they yeah. had in the whole of the qualification period. Yeah, but, so yeah, I think. But I think if you're putting together a world test eleven, you could argue for four of their players to be included. I mean, Cameron obviously gets in, maybe captains that side. Um, you'd probably say that Tom Latham might well open. Current form, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing is, is if you even if you're trying to include. Coley, Williamson, Root and Pajara, you might push Pajara up to open, but still I think Latham has a, a claim, him or Karuna Ratner. Uh, the keeper maybe, De Kock or <clears throat> or Watling seem like the two for me and Trent Bolt could easily take the new ball in a in a world test team. But and that and that's and that's they they just don't don't get enough enough credit. And that's before mentioning um Ross Taylor. Ross Taylor. Henry Nichols, yeah. Exactly. Henry Nichols had a great year. Mm, yeah. Um Tom Latham had scored 450 runs in in that two Test match series. Yeah, um, he had a shocker up to that point as well. Yeah, he? I mean he was certainly not in the mix for the uh, <laughs> the original team. Yeah, it's, it was a, a, an odd series, wasn't it? Because Sri Lanka actually, although they got thrashed in the end in the second Test, they sort of 
were either really, really good or just awful. Like the, the first test, they were, what, what, did they follow on or did they, uh, they conceded a lead of like loads of runs. And, and then Mendison and and just battled all, all day and looked <laughs> like an absolute dream. And then, and then the second test they started, they bowled, he's in that for 170 and mm. started at the end of the day, four wickets down, like 100 for four or yeah. 64 or something. And then, and then, so it looked like they might get a decent lead and make a game of it. And then, just collapsed again, and then he's there were flashes like of that five hundred against ridiculous. England as well. They weren't there, and I think it comes down to just not having quite enough good players. They yeah. have got some good players, but when they go, the whole thing collapses. And I think they've got quite a good uh, batting lineup. Like if you have to do the, um, they play Australia next, and if you have to do a combined uh, top seven, you probably have more shrankers in Australia. You definitely have more shrankers than Australians yeah. uh, in that. Um, but conditions in in New Zealand did massively suit New Zealand. Um, the seamers were still disappointing, though. Weren't they, they? they were they were really quite average, right. um, and because they, they've been decent before, they were they, yeah. they bowled some good stuff in South Africa at the start of the year. I think I remember, um, but it was yeah, just really really bad. But, but like seeing, uh, I was I was watching the New Zealand Boxing Day Test match at the same time as the Australia one, and having uh, open in one tab, Angelo Matthews, or at some point Karuna Ratney bowling at uh, the hundred and ten k's um, an hour on one screen, and you got. Um, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark running in the other. Yeah, they didn't really seem to really trust their seamers, mm. uh, who, who were actually reasonably hyped when when Vish was on the podcast a few weeks ago. He was saying that uh, Tranker's paces were better than their spin bowlers, and uh, on the on the basis of those two tests, I would probably have to disagree. Um, ben, what's your moment of the week? So my moment of the week is uh, is uh, in, in from the Staffka Pakistan series. It was came on the first morning of the uh, the first mm. test. Dale Stain. Uh, taking the wicket, which made him South Africa's leading Test wicket taker, just going ahead of of Sean Pollock, which is obviously entirely deserved a, a very fitting accolade for a fast bowler who is one of the best Test cricketers ever seen. I think he has a claim to being maybe Test cricket's greatest wicket taking threat, and that his strike rate is the uh, the best of any bowler with more than two hundred wickets. I think, and is is one of the bowler you think of most. He just goes for wickets. He doesn't really keep the runs down. Uh, he just always attacks. And consistency over a career yeah, as well. well. I mean, after a few early difficulties, he was number one in the world for a ridiculous amount of time. I think a record amount of time at, at number one. And he's, he's done it everywhere as well. He took a, what, a seven for an in India, which was phenomenal. It's fellow reverse swing bowling. He's, yeah, uh, he's, he, he's he's although although he doesn't have he hasn't doesn't do that containing thing. He is in the sense of being able to do it anywhere. He's maybe a complete fast bowler in that but sense. Also, I know twenty eighteen has been a brilliant year for fast bowlers, but the bulk of Stain's career has been in a in a really batting yeah, dominated era, yeah. and to average low twenties yeah. with a strike rate that he has is, is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, but he he might have to be left out of their side, so he's, he's probably not going to play that many tests. Um, to one Olifair bowled uh, amazingly in the in that first test match, so Slavka won that by six wickets. Um, Olifair took eleven wickets in the match, um, and he didn't, he didn't bowl that well when he when he was in England. Um, in 2017, mm-hmm. and he bowled all right for Derbyshire. He, d- he did well without setting the world alight. Um, but on a really fast wicket, he looked he looked the most threatening of um, a bowling attack with Rabard and Stain, which is some accolade. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Stain maybe calls it quits after the World Cup. There's like, I mean, yeah, he, he got that wicket to go to the record, but was then taken apart by by Babar Azam. Um, and yeah, I mean, South Africa. Th- this so without, even without Ngidi in their side, he's injured. They uh, they've gone in with four paces for the test, which is going on at the moment. And uh, if they had chosen to include a spinner, you probably might have felt that Stain would be the one left out, and Philander, Rabadra, and Olafair included in his place. And when you consider 
transformation targets they've got to meet as well if they can field an attack of Ngidi, Rabada and Philander on an ongoing basis that contributes a lot towards that. I think he's, in, in a, and again, in any other country he'd play a lot more test cricket but they've just got such a, a conveyor belt of fast bowlers and also being South African, you fancy, I mean, we, we have no idea what Brexit is going to do to Colpeck deals still but <laughs> he'd be able to pick up a pretty a pretty hefty one of those. And with, with it's not often that the true greats of the game just go on and on and on mm-hmm. in a fringe role, doing their bit but not really excelling. And I, and it would be a sad sight if if Stain was that for any period of time. And I, I, I don't think he will be. I think a a cold pack deal and a kind of glorious swan song, song swan song after a, after a World Cup sounds like the the way to go. Yeah, that and I, I guess the thing with with Stain is he seems like the kind of character to not worry about. The ego too much. He seems to just love playing South Africa and love cricket, and you, you'll always see him on Twitch just celebrating any achievement, kind of wherever it happens. Yeah. So if there was someone who was going to just like play for kind of as long as he could just for the love, he'd he'd be the one. And just, and also just to sort of nurture the next generation of fast bowlers. That's what he's talked about his role at the World Cup as being. Is he might not play a lot, but he's almost going to have like a sort of almost a player coach sort of role where he mm. can uh, mentor the fast bowlers about what it's like playing in a big tournament and stuff. And so I, I for, for that point of view, is why I'm not as why he might stick around, but yeah, there, there are a lot of reasons why it could. It would be a very lucky moment for him to do that. I mean, a lot was made of uh, of Jimmy Anderson as a as a fast bowler playing into his mid thirties, but Dale Sane is a genuine fast bowler, still mm-hmm. bowling up around 140 kilometers per hour, high eighties. Um, so it's amazing to see him still at it. He's not quite as quick as he was in his pop, but that's totally understandable at his age. He's also, I mean, Anderson stopped playing white ball cricket for England, yeah, however many years yeah. ago, and Stane until he's got injured, was a regular in that side in all in all formats. Yeah, and he's had a, a lot of injuries, which I guess is a result of being the best fast bowler in the world for 15 years or whatever. Mm. So. Yeah, that's another great series to watch. A lot of um, brilliant fast bowling on display. Uh, Shaheen Afridi and Mohamed yeah. Amir bowled really well in that first test match as well. Um, elsewhere in the world, the big bash is going on. Um, Josh Butler is... Uh, started 2019 as he as he was as he played in the entirety of 2018. He's he's in phenomenal form. He's not really form anymore, is it? He's just, just he's just, just that just. good. Yeah, <laughs> especially in T20. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, his 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 spell in the IPL where did he equal Sewag's record for most consecutive half centuries? Yeah, I think it was six. Yeah, and then he's gone and done a very similar thing in in the Big Bash and uh, does it against pretty good bowlers. It doesn't seem to make make much difference who he's up against. He's he just does his own thing. And he can uh, adapt as well. Like his half century yesterday was a match-winning half century, but only just overrun a ball. It was a really slow pitch. It wasn't. It wasn't easy to bat on, by any means. Um, uh, his his teammate uh, Joe Root hasn't had the best tournament so far. He hasn't got. I don't think he's passed twenty yet, which is mm. a shame. And people are being far too quick at writing off how good he is as a T Twenty player. When just two years ago he was one of the players. If not the batsman of the world T20, yeah, got that brilliant 80 against South, South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no, no doubt he can exactly. play the format. He just hasn't, yeah. hasn't played it very much, yeah. and it's, it is a shame because people will will write him off. Yeah, particularly the way he plays. There's often that feeling that there's not a need for a player like him in a T20 mm. side, but actually, it's shown that all too frequently there, are, there is. If you lose two or three wickets in the power play, mm. you need someone like Joe Root in your mm. in your side. But yeah, I mean, it's, he's obviously having a tough run, and it will hurt as well because. He's been anxious for this chance to prove himself. He's was overlooked for the IPL last year, wasn't he? Yeah. And now this has come along, and it looks like it's it's kind of passing him by. But it's it's a it's a long tournament. How long? Well, actually, how many more games does he have before the West Indies? I've, not many. Yeah, no, not 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 many. But the tournament does go on for a long time, and longer than it used to. They sort of keep extending it, sort of milk the cash cow. It's a it's a shame because it, it used to be a kind of quite vibrant 
uh, tournament that you kind of, even if you weren't following it closely, you could turn it on and you you know you'd get kind of like a show. And the pitches this year just have been pretty poor. There haven't been many scores over two hundred, and even the the quality is often not great because you don't get you for one you don't get the Australian Test stars, and then for number two you've got all the domestic players who normally play for six Shield teams stretched over eight teams, so you're spreading quite thinly in in two different ways. Uh, and then, so the quality is not that great. The scores are that high. And then somehow the crowds are down as well. Yeah, the crowds believe, down, yeah. and there haven't been any that many close games either, which is strange for a tournament with low scores because you think that would mean the scores are more bunched together. But actually, I think it means that if you get above par, the team has to go hard and then lose wickets, and then it's a blowout. And if you get below par, they can just forgo all risk and then chase it down really comfortably. So it's been a not 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 a great tournament, unfortunately. It's often uh, seen as like the model in which uh, the English. 2020 uh, competition it should be based on but um, I think the the quality point is really important mm. um, at the end of the day people are it's not as an appealing product to watch if if the quality is not really there um, and personally I find the the last year's 2020 blast are far more entertaining to watch than this year's big bash um, what are we looking forward to in the next week uh, well I'm it feels a bit of a Sour note when the pogs on, but I'm looking forward to the end of the Australia India series. So I don't have to see any ah, more a bit harsh. comedy videos of uh, Tim Payne's funniest sledges must watch with laughing, crying emojis. I just can't stand them. I don't, I don't, can't stand I, them or can't stand him. Uh, it's a bit, it's a bit of, I don't, I, I can see why he's doing it. I sort of empathize with him, uh, him wanting to show that like the Australian way isn't dead completely. I think, I think it's funny, he must have, he's, it seems, it's quite a conscious thing that he's decided to do. I almost think he must have like taken an improv class or something mm, before the series. He's got a book, hasn't he? He's, yeah. he's got a book. That he's, he's definitely doing. preparing them. Yeah, he's but, definitely yeah. preparing but them. But it's, it's either being lapped up or it's sort of an orchestrated attempt to make him seem funnier than he is. And I, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't feel silly. natural, yeah. does it? No. Or funny. I'm still looking forward to the end of that. Um, Joe, what are you looking forward to? The I'm end looking of cricket forward in general. To... <laughs> <laughs> must be more upbeat than men's actually. Um, I'm looking forward to so uh, the Australian writer Jeff Lemon, uh, who is genuinely one of the very best in the business, mm-hmm. is writing a diary of the Australia Indie India series for us, which will be appearing in the next Wisden Cricket Monthly. So that will be dropping in my inbox hopefully on Monday Jeff if you're listening <laughs> more like Wednesday probably um, but uh, I'm sure it'll be brilliant I look forward to reading it and uh, yeah you can look forward to that in the next issue of the magazine fantastic well thanks for listening folks I uh, hope you all have a great start to the new year and if you enjoy the podcast share it to your friends and to get them to subscribe thanks Podcast Network.